Hello and welcome to the RTE Brainstorm podcast, a home for new ideas and insights on Ireland and the world. It's a unique partnership between RTE and the Irish third level institutions. Now, enjoy the show. Hello, Hamburg, Amsterdam, Paris, Oslo and Fez al-Bali in Morocco. These cities all have one thing in common. They've decided to eliminate cars from some or all of their streets. It isn't easy to take cars out of cities. We're still deeply attached to all that cars have to offer. To move where we want to go, when we want to go, even if it means sitting in traffic jams to get there. But cities are doing it to cut pollution, reduce carbon emissions and, according to Oslo's Vice Mayor Hannah Elise Marcusen, to give the streets back to the people. So is it time for us here in Ireland to break the relationship between cars and our cities? If so, how should it happen? Don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you've got till it's gone They paid paradise, put up a parking lot With me are two people who will have all the answers. Geographer Ulf Strohmeyer from NUI Galway and planner David O'Connor from Technological University in Dublin. You're both very welcome. Ulf, you are from Germany and I gather that you always wanted to be a geographer. The first thing you learned to read were maps. Indeed, yeah. No, that um, came in handy when I was sitting in the back of the car that my father was driving and I was the precocious child sitting there (laughs) driving him mad indeed you know but it's grown from then and I think I can speak for both of us you know being geographically inclined people you know um, there's something about reading of spaces the interaction between people the places where they live and how those two interact and shape one another's practices shape one another's outlook shapes one another's way of life even you know in the broader sense of the word and and you were brought up in freiburg in southwest yeah. germany it's yeah. an interesting city because of course it was flattened by the allies during the second world war but then there was this amazing chance to kind of rebuild the city and the city of freiburg was rebuilt in a very conservative mindset you know it didn't follow the the the, the car champion kind of um, route that cities like Kassel or Darmstadt or other cities followed at that. So they actually rebuilt the inner city almost one-on-one with the way that it existed previously, you know. But the one thing that they did, uh, which in a way turned out to be a godsend, you know, they didn't rip out their tram system, you know. They persevered with that up until the late 1970s. And this is actually where I came in, you know, because I did an internship there, you know. And I followed the debates, you know, but at that time, Freiburg was seen to be a laggard. You know, we still have our tram system. You and know, now still, it is seen as one of the greenest time, cities in the really, world. You could see yeah. the, the, the shift, you know, this was mm-hmm. the old crisis. This was everything was happening. People for the first time realised that the environment was something precious, you know, something to be preserved. And that the way that we move our bodies, the way we move goods across space has something to contribute to that, you know. And they actually... From that moment, 1975, I remember it correctly, you know, so they started to expand their tram system, you know. Bear in mind, you know, we did something opposite in, in, in Ireland here, you know, we ripped it out completely and you know, only to find ourselves now saying, oh, maybe we shouldn't have done that. And David, you, know? you grew up in Wexford town, beautiful part of the country, but known for traffic congestion. When you were a boy, was it the same? Well, sure. I mean, it's a beautiful place. I love going back to, to Wexford where I'm from. Uh, and something that always strikes me, again, just being a geographer and having a sort of fascination with towns, cities and, and regions and, and how places work um, is just where I grew up, um, Wexford was essentially a walkable 
bikeable town and that's what pretty much everybody did it was a camp the town was the town and in Ireland we've very much especially you know since the, the Celtic Tiger period we've turned our back in the town uh, and if we're successful now that seems to mean sort of moving out of the town and, and buying you know uh, building a very nice house uh, that's disconnected uh, and of course for a lot of people it's not a matter of choice there's an affordability thing and people have been pushed further and further away from where they're working where they're sending their children to school and it's causing a massive problem we've built a car dependent society uh, and I think that's a shame and and Ulf, you're in Knocknacarra, which is yeah. just outside of Galway. Obviously, thirty years ago, it was it was farmland. It was a it was a wood. But now, yeah. similarly to David in Wexford Town, it is known for traffic. It is, but I mean, you have to imagine there's eighteen thousand people of seventy eight thousand Galwegians living in Knocknacarra. You know. When it emerged, it emerged without any thought being given to the infrastructure. The only thing that was given pride of place was the Catholic Church, right there in the middle of Knocknacarra. Everything else was seen to be almost an afterthought. You know, children, go to schools. <laughs> Didn't feature in the landscapes. People need milk. No grocery shopping opportunity was provided for them, you know, not even a pub. I mean, which strikes me as being the, the least Irish thing to do, you know, to think about building a, a suburb without a pub. You David, know? you're rolling your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> All well, of these things came as an afterthought. And as a result, they came, they emerged almost on the outskirts. So we now have a, a, a very compact, almost, you know, sort of suburban space there where the ch schools are all lined up on the border on the outskirts of that of that livable space, you know. As a result, all children are driven to schools, you know. The sort of and, periphery yes. of mm -hmm. the city. Yeah. David, in the context of Irish cities, what were they like before cars? I mean, how did people get around? Okay, well, you can be nostalgic about the past, but the Irish city or the Irish town, the city was, they were they were quite small. I mean, we have a very sort of um, a tradition of being a rural society and a lot of people were sort of connected with the land and not that many people sort of moved to the towns of the cities. They only sort of really expanded from the kind of 1970s onwards. But beforehand, they were compact. There was probably the main street uh, and, you know, the church, a few schools, mm -hmm. a lot of pubs. Um, but most people, in fact, everyone probably had the opportunity to walk uh, or cycle to everything they needed within about five or ten minutes. Now, that actually, the, you know, the, the implications of that is it actually creates a very social space because if you're walking and cycling around streets, you're meeting people all the time and actually there's a lot of kind of studies and evidence behind that. The places where people tend to walk, people tend to meet, people tend to have strong bonds and connections with where they're from uh, and those things are, are very important. So if you change all that, you tend to lose those, those social benefits. And people presumably had much less expectation of being mobile. I mean, this idea that somehow your life was actually within the town, the village or the city that you lived. And, mm -hmm. you know, unlike, say, today, when if I want to, I can drop up to Donegal in yep. the morning and come back in the afternoon. Okay. Yeah. So, well, people's lifestyles have changed. It was a different world. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, the fact that people were maybe walking a lot more is an awful lot healthier for people intrinsically. So we now know that most trips that we're making are by car. Uh, and actually, you know, at the same same time we do have a public health crisis we have you know the danger of you know a high proportion of the country being overweight suffering from heart diseases uh, chronic illnesses and all these things are connected so there's a problem with this sort of car culture and car dominated society that we've built and it's hard to undo that as well that's why the idea of the old Irish market town of maybe sort of 5, 10, 15,000 people is actually an interesting model. It's, you know, I don't see, we'll never go back to the town the way it was, but communities like that that are not necessarily car free, but 
car reduced uh, where people don't have these car dependent lifestyles is definitely an aspiration and oh, we don't want to dwell too much about the past but you know we can't go without talking about tram the tram network that yeah. would have been in the cities for example in Dublin yeah. in the past yeah no, I mean, the, we've lost something quite vital there, you know, sort of an intermediary between the individualised mode of, that the car sort of affords us with and walkability, you know. Mm-hmm. We all agree that cities, when they grow, as life becomes more complicated, you know, we do need forms of mobility that exceed what walking or cycling can offer, you know. But the question is, do we invest into the individualised mode that is presented by the car? Do we continue to invest into that? Because we have for the last 30 years invested almost exclusively into those modes. Or do we claw some of that back that is more of a communal kind, you know, where we actually like sitting together with other people in in the tram. And and the kind of demands then that cars put on cities in terms of how the city itself is shaped, David. I mean, you know, I suppose if you're thinking about Galway or Dublin or Cork, the big cities in Ireland, one thing that you can see is just how much they grow because of the car. That's right, yeah. Um, I mean, well, we we follow the American model of saying, almost saying, let people build wherever people can build. Um, And you know, most of their transport needs will be met by the car. Uh, And that was an American idea. And it took off post-war in the US. Uh, And it was almost, you know, the car companies, and there's there's an amazing history about this, you know, there's some histories of of the car in America. It's almost like the history of America itself. And the, the car makers really got under the skin of government and drove policy and drove legislation to facilitate that idea. Now the most motorized cities in America, on the planet, Atlanta and Houston are realising that they have to, they've shouted stop, and even they're reversing their policies. And, oh, I suppose we have we have the roads coming into cities, but it's also about housing policy it as is. well, isn't it? it? Is. So that it local is. authorities are setting minimum levels of, of, of car parking for apartment blocks and for houses as well. And what mm-hmm. does the research say about how that drives car use? Well, I mean, the more, I mean, it's a used demand in a way, you know, the more you build them, the more people will feel almost a sense of entitlement in addition to the need that is quite real. You know, the moment you live further out and you engage in that, what Robert Putman once called, you know, the bowling alone kind of scenario, you know, where you live in suburbs where you don't have any kind of social ties anymore with the people that are adjacent to you. You know, you come in in the evening, you don't have time to socialise. You commute out again in the morning, you know, and your children are taught that very same pattern. You know, it's internalised from day one and everything is done with the car and through the car. Now, we're shifting that ever so slightly. I mean, give you an example here in, 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 in Dublin. You know, you've experimented with Adamstown being a type of urban village. We're starting to do that in, in Galway. We're building a, an urban village out there towards the eastern side um, at Adorn. Now, that's bisected by motorway, so there's a bit of an irony built into that, you know. But it, the lessons that we're trying to learn there and absorb are pointing back to, I mean, in the Galway context, for instance, to places like Salt Hill, you know, where what we talked about earlier, you know, the kind of 10-minute walkability and you have everything at your doorstep. Well, we heard, um, you know, that, that Oslo is really pioneering yeah. the idea of a car-free city, especially this year when they really want to get cars completely out of the city. Axel Benson is head of technology company Urban Sharing in Oslo. And he explained to Sean O'Rourke recently what they decided to do with the car parking spaces in Oslo. Have a listen to this. So a lot of it has been going into to creating bike lanes, but they've also expanded the sidewalk so that you can have restaurants that have seating areas uh, on the sidewalk. Uh, 
uh, they've created green spaces. They actually have some playgrounds for kids, uh, and some some streets have been closed off altogether. The fact is that if you drive around the city centre right now, it's it's easier to drive around because there are fewer cars. So uh, what I think has happened is that the, the people that really need to go into the city by car, they still do, uh, but it's actually you can quicker get from point A to point B. But what's happened is that people more use, uh, they walk, they use bikes, the city bikes, they use the, the e-scooters that are around. And it's, uh, it's, it feels like a, a more quiet, you know, not, not quiet, but more so, safe and yeah, pedestrianised. Was this effectively a way of having a car-free uh, Oslo um, without actually banning cars? Yeah, I, I think it's the closest you can get within that period of time. Uh, banning would be, there would be so many practical problems that both people living here and commercial uh, vehicles. Uh, but I think this is the, the closest thing that can get to this in that, that, in that time. The Vice Mayor of Oslo, Hanna-Elise Markison, uh, compared this, this move against cars to the smoking ban. Just explain what the thinking was there. People are uh, always against their rights being limited somehow and that was the case when the smoking ban came everyone was so angry but right now you're like did we actually smoke inside before and and I think that will be the same thing for cars that you will think it's strange that you actually park cars in the middle of these beautiful streets Axel Benson there head of technology company Urban Sharing talking to Sean O'Rourke about how they got the cars out of Oslo um, David we're talking about car-free cities. What do we actually mean by car-free cities? Okay. You heard the it's, word it's ban there. I mean, yeah. it's self-explanatory, but are we literally talking about taking cars and getting them out of the cities completely or not? Yeah, well, it's actually quite a problematic expression because as soon as you say it, you get a lot of people get their backs up and say, well, actually, I need my car. So you're trying to take my car away. Um, so that means that, you know, that sort of divorces me from where I work, maybe taking family to school or whatever it is. So people sort of see that as, you know, very, very aggressive. Uh, in the little piece there, he was really talking about uh, a car-reduced city centre, and that's what we're really, really talking about. And there are sort of famous Groningen uh, is you know has the highest cycling statistics in the world, and simply what they did was they cordoned off the city, and it meant that you couldn't go through the city anymore. In Holland, could, in in Groningen, Holland, I beg your pardon, uh, you could get from one side of the city to the other, but you had to go outside and around. So there was car access, but it just meant it was reduced. And by doing that, it means that now your public transport works much much better that starts to suck in trips it starts to generate revenue they can improve the services so you've got this virtual cycle virtuous cycle so when we're talking about car free cities of what we're talking about are different ways in which you can sort of rebalance the mobility in yeah. in cities so yeah. a little bit of cars a little bit of cycling That's a little what bit we of refer to as a different modular mix between different modes of transportation you know Explain the, the superblock system in, in Barcelona. That's one way they've done it, isn't it? Well, the superblock is, I mean, builds on a very, very long established tradition in Barcelona, you know, where they have some of the highest degrees of density that we can find anywhere on the on the planet, you know. And Serda in the 19th century built a very, very compact form of urbanity that was planned, that followed a particular logic, a logic, incidentally, um, organised around the idea of um, tram lines. You know, I don't know if your listeners will have been to Barcelona, but those that have been, you know, if you go into the Eixample, you will notice that all of the blocks are actually cut off, you know, and they were cut off simply to facilitate the 
curvature of tram lines that they imagined at the time to go in there. You know? So their model of car-free city is to push the cars to the edge of these blocks. Yes, but in the interim time from the 1950s mm-hmm. and 1960s, Barcelona, like any other city, was overrun by cars. You know, mm-hmm. So what happened with those blocks is that the interior of those blocks became car parking spaces. You know, Because cars, and we, we sometimes forget about that, You know, when we talk about cars, we tend to think of cars as moving across mm-hmm. space. Most of the time they don't move, they're parked somewhere. Actually, most of the time they're parked somewhere. And that parking space, I mean, we did a quick tally in in, in the inner city in Galway, you know, 56% of the available space in the inner city in Galway is given over to the car in one form or another. The same happened in Barcelona. But what they've done now over the last 10, 15 years is reconquer that space. So within those blocks, they take the cars out. And lo and behold, you know, all of a sudden you have space for crashes, you have spaces for cafes, you have spaces for greening the inner city, because that's another theme that we don't traditionally associate with a car, but where a car is parked, you know, you could have trees. Once there were parking lots, now it's a peaceful oasis. You got it, you got it. This was a pizza hut, now it's a covered with daisies. David, the, you said that you have to first want to do it when it comes to how do you get cars out of cities. Uh, do you think, when you look at government policy and look at where money is being spent, do you mm-hmm. think there is that will? Well, it's, it is a very political decision. And uh, political decisions follow voting patterns and what people ask of the politicians. But also they follow what they're being told by vested interests and there's a lot of vested interests out there in the planning and development of a city. There's a lot of money in the planning and development of a city and in developing houses. So, you know, there might be interests in there and I I think a lot of, you know, you're you're asking the question, you know, do people want to spend 10,500 euros a year in their car uh, or is it a case where a lot of people have to do this because during the Celtic Tiger years we developed housing and settlement patterns where people are living you know, maybe an hour, an hour and a half away from where they're working. Um, so um, so that causes a problem and it means that people are maybe putting pressure on their politicians for more roads when actually that's literally going to make the problem worse. So it becomes a political problem and you need to develop different policies. That's very, very important. David, do you think that our, our cities in Ireland are, are dense enough to support mass transit and, a, and any attempt at car-free zones. Yeah, actually, there's there's a popular myth out there that Ireland is, you know, our cities are low density. They're not. They're medium density cities. I can give you the numbers on it. Dublin, if you take the area of Dublin city and suburbs, uh, which is basically the built-up area of Dublin, it's about three and a half thousand persons per square kilometre, which compares very favourably with Berlin at three thousand nine hundred, mm-hmm. uh, Hamburg, Zurich, which has the best public transport in the uni- in the world. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> um, Barcelona is a lot higher, actually, yeah. because of Cerda's um, example. Uh, and, you know, he injected massive densities. That's a, uh, but do we have the capacity in Ireland? We do. We, we have the densities. We just simply haven't got the planning and we haven't got the transport planning. And we haven't given public transport priority and we haven't planned a, a, an effective high-capacity, high-quality, high-frequency network. And that's, I know there are policies, Bus Connects, uh, there's a lot of controversy about it, but it's a, a very, very strategic project. So is it the case, Ulf, that it's not just the cities of Ireland that could go car-free, but also the large towns? Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's where I think a lot of urban leadership that's provided elsewhere, which um, 
is largely absent for political but also governmental reasons in Ireland. I mean, we do not have leadership that's exerted at an urban level. We never had an Osman, we never had a Sada, mm. and we don't have, I mean, if I look at um, Paris nowadays, you know, we're a strong mayor who came in, an Hidalgo, um, just changed the way that people think about transport in Paris. She did two things, I mean, just to, 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 mm. to that, are, that are really relevant in, in Ireland, you know. She undid the zonal differentiation as far as public transportation is concerned. So what does that did, mean? It does mean, it doesn't matter how far you, or how often or how long you use a, a metro line or an area line, you know, you can take it for five kilometres or you can go out 15 kilometres, it costs the same. And actually she adjusted the pricing level at the lowest possible level. So the shortest route became the longest route in terms of the pricing that you do. And the second thing she's currently doing is really inserting cycle lanes into the heart of Paris, even along boulevards or roads that I, I mean, I've grown up living in Paris for 30 years on and off, you know, that I would have always conceptualized as being, you know, the, the main throughways. You know, here's four cars side by side, jostling for space, you know, bumping into one another, all that you associate with um, less northern European sort of car spaces, you know, and all of a sudden, there's just one lane and there's a major, major cycle path right next to it. Where, Bicycles can go both ways, you know. I wouldn't have thought that possible, but it is possible. You see it in action and you say, scratch it back of your head and say, why didn't we do that 30 years ago? <laughs> I mean, the first step, Ulf, for getting cars uh, nudging towards an approach towards a car-free city, what would it be? What would be the best thing you can do? The best thing at this stage, at this juncture in history, would be invest into public transportation solutions. That's where I would put my money, you know, to make them Expensive. a more... It's, is it? I mean, we've costed um, a tram line in Galway, east-west. Galway is a wonderful, and the geography of Galway is, is conducive like no other city that I know for the construction of a tram line. You know, it extends along a very narrow corridor from east to west, to the north there's Loch Corrib, to the south there's the sea. Can't build there, you know, so put a tram line, 18k in there. We costed that at 280 million. We're currently investing 740 million and counting into the construction of a possible bypass, you know, which will again function like all other bypasses did. You know, it will create more demand. And much more importantly than that, even, it will foster a continuation of the kind of urban growth that we've seen being detrimental in the context of our discussion today, in the sense that you will have continued urban sprawl, you will have out-of-town um, shopping centres that will necessitate somebody driving there with a car because you don't have the alternative, you know, a short, small corner shop that is within walking distance, you know. So unless you invest into public transportation at a massive scale, and I mean, I'm still flabbergasted, I mean, that a city of the size of Dublin, you know, has two tram lines mm -hmm. and a dart. I mean, that's it. I mean, any other city of, of a comparable size in Europe, even increasingly in the developing world, you know, will have considerably more opportunities for usage of public transportation. But, but then, okay. David, you look at something like the Bus Connects project, which yeah. now has become so dangerously toxic for some local politicians because people are so angry about it. Do you think there's been a sort of a failure of the ability for politicians to actually communicate the importance of these things or, or what's going on? I mean, why would something like the Bus Connects find okay. itself in such a shambles. Well, if I can, I can, if I can just pick up something Love said about the, uh, the, the go-way out of Ring Road, uh, and we have a national development plan. The top three biggest ticket spending items in the national development plan are roads. 
Okay, and the number one biggest spend is going to be the Galway Outer Ring Road. The traffic consultants that developed the, the, the transport assessment for it in their own report said that 3% of through trips would be removed from the city of Galway by this. 3%. The study also said that the delivery of the road would actually reduce the overall percentage of walking and cycling in the city. That is a scheme that is not going to be a success. And Ulf is absolutely right. It will promote sprawl. It will make Galway's problem even worse. It's like giving, it's like giving the drunk another drink, unfortunately. Uh, so that's a big problem. So to reverse that, you have to take a different approach. And in a city like Galway, or a city like Limerick, or Cork, or Dublin, you need a public transport network. That's what Bus Connects purports to be, and I think it's a very, very strong thing. We've been talking a lot about tram, but BRT, a lot of cities like Paris and Hidalgo and Paris, is investing in bus rapid transit. So high, let's call it high-quality high bus, and that's what Bus Connects is trying to deliver. But people uh, aren't exactly opening it with Welcome Ireland, People are aren't buying into it, but they're in a consultation, and they've put a lot of information out there. In my view, I think a lot of the information that went out was very technical. And they went out on a lot of corridors across the city and said, here's the technical scheme. And that raised a lot of questions and a lot of fear among communities. And there are a lot of issues around trees. And, you know, there's a question, have they prioritised removing car spaces over removing trees? And I think there's going to be another iteration of that. Uh, And I believe that they will come in. And there's already indications uh, from some communities that they've engaged in this consultation. And they're much happier. It's fascinating stuff. Well, if you want to read more about car-free cities, head to rte.ie slash brainstorm. But for now, Ulf Storymeyer, Professor of Geography in NUI Galway and David O'Connor from TU Dublin. Thank you both very much. The programme is produced by Kieran O'Byrne and the editor is Jim Carroll. Research is by Louise Denver. Brainstorm is an RTE project in association with University College Cork, NUI Galway, University of Limerick, DCU, TU Dublin, Ulster University, Maynooth University and the Irish Research Council. This programme is available as a podcast from rte.ie slash brainstorm.